0: This is Risky Women Radio, a show that connects, celebrates and champions women in risk, regulation and compliance. We're here to share the insights on the biggest issues in our industry and hear inspiring journeys from our global members. Sign up to our newsletter at riskywomen.org. I'm Kimberly Cole, your Chief Risky Woman. Welcome to Risky Women Radio. Today's Risky Women are Stacey English and Susanna Hammond. They join us from Theta Lake, a leader in modern collaboration, compliance, and security solutions. Stacey English is the Director of Regulatory Intelligence for Theta Lake. She has over 25 years' experience in financial services regulation and technology as a former regulator for the now FCA and as a risk and compliance practitioner in global banks and insurers. For more than a decade, she led regulatory intelligence for Thomson Reuters, providing the regulatory insight to financial services firms, including global industry research covering conduct, culture and the cost of compliance. She's also a qualified accountant, a published author on conduct and accountability and financial services and an honorary fellow of Cambridge Judge Business School, providing expert guidance to the Cambridge Centre for Alternative Finance. Susanna Hammonds is a senior regulatory intelligence expert at Theda Lake. She has over 30 years of wide-ranging compliance, regulatory and risk experience in international and UK financial services. She has held senior compliance roles at firms such as Warburgs, HBOS, GA Capital and Caspian before joining Complinet, which was acquired by Thomson Reuters. Susanna is a well-known thought leader in financial services and was the inaugural host of the popular podcast, Compliance Clarified. So great to have both Susanna and Stacey join us on Risky Women Radio today.
1: Thanks so much for having us. It's great to be here. Delighted to be here.
0: Absolutely. So what I'd love to hear about, obviously, you guys are long-term professionals in the risk and compliance area, have done many different things through the industry. So I guess starting with Stacey, can you take us on your kind of career journey and some of the key highlights and then tell us what you're up to today?
1: So I'm now a Director of Regulatory Intelligence at Theta Lake, which provides um, compliance and security for modern collaboration platforms. I've been in financial services regulation for over 25 years. I started out as a regulator. I became a practitioner in major banks and in insurers and ultimately moved into technology. And that's where we ended up in, in Thomson Reuters and we met Kimberly. So I think I was always destined to work in financial services. Even at university, I worked in a bank during holidays, and year beforehand to pay for it. So always going to be my career path, and that practical experience allowed me to join the regulator, and that's where I moved straight into regulation. And I had such a privilege of being on frontline supervision, looking at mis-selling, looking at some of the, you know, the worst misconduct in the market. And so ultimately, I was auditing the regulator itself. So really, that final, final line of defense. And that's where I qualified as an accountant. And you know the best opportunities, the best grounding for this career, I think and endless opportunities. But I took a sort of great decision to move out into industry because I really felt that I needed to have the practical experience of what compliance teams were going through to do that job effectively. And I had every intention of moving back to be a regulator. So I spent several years in some of the you know, biggest insurers and banks. I had the privilege of working for the Lloyd of London, the biggest insurance market, for example. But at the height of the financial crisis, I found myself in that banking culture that's been so widely analysed and discussed. And I thought there has to be a better way to compliance. And as someone who's quite risk averse, I took a very brave decision at that point to move into a technology startup. And that startup was Compunet, which was doing some amazing things things for the compliance industry. We were building out a tracker for tracking regulation, analysing all the regulatory developments. And that's where I met Susanna. And that was long before the word RegTech even had a name. You know, that was real technology to help compliance and, and regulation. And obviously that was ultimately then acquired by Thompson Reuters. So I found myself moving from the startup back into that big corporate world. And I spent a decade there. Building a team to provide the analysis of regulatory developments and leading some of the, you know, the world leading industry research. you mentioned the cost of compliance there. And a decade of that, I took a brave decision again to move back out into a startup. I felt that, you know, 10 years of cost of compliance was it's time to, to move on leave Susanna behind, obviously, but I had some opportunities. I was helping Cambridge with their regulatory genome project, for example, which is making regulation machine readable and lots of other opportunities. And for the last two years, I've been part of Theta Lake, which is an absolute joy. And we were lucky enough to recruit Susanna late last year as well.
0: So, I mean, lots of interesting things there and also interesting to hear about some of the sort of risks that you took on your career. But Susanna, so tell us about your career journey to feeder Lake.
2: Yeah, goodness. Well, Stacey's saying she's always destined for financial services. I fell into it completely by accident because my degree is material sciences, so metal, ceramics and polymers. I did work for IBM for a year before I went there, but in R&D, I was doing CAD CAM design and all that kind of cool stuff got to the end of university, had absolutely zero idea what I wanted to do. So my holding pattern was to join Arthur Anderson, which I realised perhaps is not the greatest CV moment in anybody's life anymore. And I became a Chartered Accountant because I thought, get another qualification, holding pattern, figure out what you want to do, that sort of thing. And I ended up after that going for an interview at Warburg's, dear old Warburg's. And I was actually being interviewed to work in the Finance Department and about halfway through this interview, the very nice chap who was the head of HR looked at me and said, hang on one minute, and you're thinking, oh my goodness, what on earth have I just said? And he wandered out and came back in with John Mayo. And for those of you who have a long memory, John Mayo was the former senior managing partner of Linklaters and Payne's as it was called then, the architect of A-Day. I mean, he was the Mr. City, the leading lawyer in the city. He created so much. And he was head of compliance for Warburgs, And the head of HR introduced the two of us. Two hours later, I was offered a job to come into compliance at Warburgs. Didn't really look back from there. But I mean, talk about not exactly a straight line path or ever what I intended to do. But from dear old Warburgs, I did a number of very senior compliance roles, mostly international compliance, to be fair, and risk. And I did HBOS head of compliance at GE Capital Bank, all that sort of thing. And then talking about brave decisions, I'd done a lot of head of compliance roles. And to be honest, I was knackered. It's a big, full-on role to be head of compliance. And there was Alex Vile, who was one of the founders of Complinet. I'd known since I was at Warburg's when he was, I think, probably at Bearings at that point. He might've been at the Regulator we had a standing joke that every six months he asked me to come to Complinet. And finally, I turned around and said, well, yeah, all right then. And the rest almost is history with Complinet and it's absolutely world-class cutting-edge technology at the time. And even now, people have incredibly fond memories of Complinet. They still remember the name, they still know it. And that's, gosh, 15 years old now, perhaps. And then from Complinet Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence. And I was there 15 ish years. And then, yeah, time to rejoin Stacey doing fun things and Theta Lake. And big company back to a small company. And I've done startups before. I did a startup merchant bank called Caspian, which was fun at the time. And yeah, kind of nice to be somewhere small and agile again. That's really quite a lot of fun.
0: Really interesting there. You both had sort of chartered accounting backgrounds. You've moved from regulators, banking, into reg tech as it is. I guess thinking about that and thinking about the skills that you think are, you know, most interesting or important and what things in the regulatory and compliance space do you feel that are needed for the ultimate compliance professional? And I know that's a very broad question, but I guess thoughts from you to start with, Stacey?
1: Yeah, I think with to do a role like we do, it's that ability to analyse information quickly and determine what's needed. Now, whether you're a regulator giving advice or whether you're as an expert in the industry, keeping up with change and giving that advice. So communication skills are really important. Being able to write, obviously, liking writing and sharing information in interesting ways but also people skills wherever I think that makes your role doesn't it it's when you're in compliance and you've got to it's important that you're collaborating for example with technology teams or you've got to interface with a regulator it's that ability to I suppose, understand people and communicate and I don't know how you describe the skill of being a personable good uh, having integrity and, and just being a good colleague but that's been Something I've always looked for when I've recruited my team and that's why, Susanna, I continually recruit.
0: <laughs> and anything else you think that's a sort of key attribute or skill, Susanna?
2: I'd say that there's sort of almost two layers of skills. You have to have the subject matter expertise. That's the sort of base plate. But on top of that, to echo what Stacey said, you have to be able to cut through the noise and be articulate about the key things that actually matter and to pull the threads and say, well, you've got 200 pages of consultation, say, actually, what are the three things you need to do? It's that ability to take the noise and analyse it down into actionable, good or better practices, or actually, these are the three things you need to worry about. And that ability to, I suppose the American phrase, cut to the chase, is absolutely critical because then once you can do that you can communicate that to the chief executive to whoever and i think that is a really important skill to have to be able to see through all of the extraneous stuff and let's be frank there's an awful lot of stuff out there and actually pick out these are the important things these are the things you need to worry about these are the things you need to
0: do something about And thinking about all the roles that you've had, and because I do think it's really interesting, this look at the entire ecosystem that exists across the, you know, risk regulation and compliance landscape. Would you recommend your roles or all of the roles that you've had? Which ones have you kind of loved and would you recommend to others? Susanna, do you want to kick off?
2: Which ones have I absolutely loved? That's a good question. That has been very, very dependent on the culture of the organisation. And I've been through some interesting cultures. I'm now figuring out whether or not I really ought to name names and shame people completely. Let me give you one vignette. GE Capital Bank, when I went to them as head of compliance for UK and Europe, between me accepting the job and starting, They'd knocked two zeros off the balance sheet and they fired the chief executive and they were in severe regulatory trouble, which they hadn't told me about to start with. So I spent a year, 18 months, basically fixing them. And I was thinking, this is not what I came here to do. I was supposed to be building this and doing this and doing that. And it was sheer hard graft. And of course you do it. And of course you get that real sense that you have done something, you have saved something, you have made it at least a bit better. But did I enjoy it? Probably not, to be perfectly frank. And then compare that to when we were building Complinet and Thompson Reuters regulatory intelligence, when the culture was great, the people were great, it was a common goal, and it was fascinating work. Absolutely fascinating. I'm not sure that completely answers the question, but yeah, two very different roles.
0: I mean, I think that's really interesting. I guess maybe, Stacey, from your side, like thinking about it from that purpose, passion and impact, what would you recommend in terms of thinking about roles with that lens given some of the things that you've done for the audience?
1: I certainly would recommend this as a career. There's never-ending opportunities there's always something new there's always new products there's always new regulation it's always changing so you're never going to get bored and you're never going to be short of work to do i think in terms of our particular role now obviously with that innovative fast-paced culture which yeah, is great if you're, you're suited to that but being able to take that broader view sometimes when you're in a firm in a regulated firm you can only really see what's going on in that firm But when you're outside of it, either as a regulator or as a thought leader looking across the industry, you get such a broad view of what's happening. And you have that real privilege to be able to share best practices and advise firms on how they could do things better or what they need to do. I think that's the bit I really love now about not being just in one particular firm and having that broad view.
0: Before we jump into our key part of the discussion here around looking at modern communications compliance and the security report that you did, maybe Susanna, can you kind of give us an overview of Lake and what you do and what the vision is?
1: I think Stacey's much better placed to do that. She's been there two years. I, I'm, I'm the new girl. The okay. World. So uh, Theta Lake is backed by investments from Zoom and Cisco, RingCentral, Salesforce, and we provide the security and compliance for the modern collaboration platforms that we're all so dependent on today. And we've got hundreds of partnerships, certified integrations that allow us to capture and archive all of those new communications, the video, the chat, the messages, or we can send it to archives And obviously, that's so complex now, given the way we communicate, that we've got emojis and text messages and all the things that change the context of communications, which make it really hard for firms to meet their record keeping obligations to actually capture all these channels and all the rich context and and different features around it. And the other part we do is we supervise all the communications so that with the use of patented artificial intelligence, we can detect and surface any regulatory privacy or security risks. So, for example, if I was holding up in front of a screen now a financial document, but I wasn't talking about it, you know, you'd know, want to know that as a firm. If there was personal information sitting in a chat conversation that needed to be removed, that needs to be identified. So any sort of risk that lives inside of these communication platforms, we can surface so that yeah, then a firm can meet its oversight and, and supervision obligations. So really, all designed so that when you're using these new platforms, you can use them confidently and securely. You know, I can't take any credit for the foresight of our founders who knew we would be moving onto these platforms, but I don't even think they saw the pandemic coming to know quite how quickly that you know Zoom and Microsoft Teams would be you know so fundamental to our workplace.
0: Yeah, really really opportunistic in terms of where they've landed. So you recently did this great report. Can you give me a bit of background on that report?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So this is our fourth annual report. So research started in 2018 when we were in a very different world, obviously pre-pandemic. We weren't using all these platforms as much. We weren't all remote. And We've been able to track the findings over time. This report, we had over 500 firms take part. Everyone who took part had a senior role in compliance or security in a heavily regulated industry, predominantly financial services and globally across the US, Canada and UK. So that gives us really credible insight to share those practices and that firms can benchmark themselves against what everyone else is doing. So we know already that these platforms are absolutely fundamental to how we work. But what's interesting is just how the mix of those communications and the way people communicate has changed. And the majority are using more than four platforms. So you think you've got Zoom in place and Microsoft Teams in place, and then you might have whiteboarding and and other video platforms and and multiple platforms to, to manage. And that's expected to increase. It was quite fascinating to me was how... The way we communicate has changed so there's been a real move from traditional email to actually using video and chat i think it was 81 know, percent are using chat more than they use email which is quite astounding to think how that's changed over time 63 percent are using video as much as email so very very changing environment and that really has created challenges because firms are in a place where they've got the old compliance solutions that aren't really designed for this they're designed for email and they're trying to sort of catch up now and look at what can they do to actually make those platforms compliant meet all their obligations that still exist the same obligations same record keeping obligations and supervision so that's you know i think one of the key findings of that report is how things have changed
0: Yeah, really, really interesting. And I mean, I guess looking at those key regulatory challenges, Susanna, what are some of those areas in addition to what Stacey's called out that really exist for the customers?
2: Well, I think two things, well, several things, but Primarily, firms have understood that this is a challenge and it's just how they have responded to that challenge that actually, in some cases, ended up creating even more challenges for them, which is never a good place to be. So some firms have basically said all of this great functionality that, you know, Zoom, Teams, WhatsApp, RingCentral, whatever it is, you've got humongous functionality built into that. And let's be frank, firms will be paying for all of that great functionality But because of some of the compliance challenges and concerns, that functionality has been switched off. So you've got in a work environment, you will use X and it's very tram tracked, very narrow, and probably actually not very conducive to getting things done in a world where you want to use chat as much as anything else. And so the great challenge and difficulty there is that if you have put those limitations on people, The great temptation for them is to go and use unmonitored channels. And we asked that question in the report. And two-thirds, 66%, said it was likely actually staff were communicating on unmonitored channels. Now, if you're a head of compliance, your ears just exploded. This is not a good statistic to think about. So firms are going to have to think about how they can put those features back on which will encourage everybody to play nice and be within channels that are being monitored and therefore overseen and captured and all of the rest of it. And this isn't theoretical. I'm sure everyone will have seen that $2 billion, that's billion with a B, dollar fines imposed in the US on banks. WhatsApp is the label that's put on it, but it was the use of unmonitored channels. Now, for me, one of the key things with this one is these are big blue chip banks, and they had this collective blind spot about the use of WhatsApp. This wasn't a rogue trader in the corner using WhatsApp to discuss whatever. This was at all levels of the firm. This was senior management. This was the risk and compliance functions were all using unmonitored channels. So I think there is a real need to reconsider the sheer breadth of where your record keeping obligations truly do apply. And then once you've got your head around that, understand you're going to need help in the sense of modern solutions to make sure you can not only have the functionality switched on so folks are going to use in-house capabilities, but also you've got to be able to monitor that. You've got to to capture it. You've got to have the capacity to monitor the sheer volume there as well. yes, there are challenges, but please don't put in place policies and procedures that actually make your problem worse, because then you're tackling even more issues once that all of that shakes out in the mix.
0: Yeah, that's very interesting. There's unintended consequences of thinking that you're providing a safer environment, but creating more and more problems. Mm -hmm, Exactly. And Stacey, I think The report also covers more around the privacy and security challenges as well. How are firms dealing or trying to deal with those challenges?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Obviously, data security and privacy is really important because this is how you are communicating with customers. And there's lots of, of private data, customer confidential data or health information on these channels. So very much in line with what we've seen last year. There's particular areas that cause concern. And they're things like files uploaded in chat. So for example, you know when you send an email and you've got a limitation on what you can send, there isn't that limitation there. You could attach anything. You could attach a giant database of all your customer information or all your financial information. And that could be leaked and it could be a disgruntled employee or it could be an accident. You put the wrong attachment on. So things like links that go into chat conversation. I've learned all of this now how... That will never go away. That link, unless you remove it, it's persistent. It will stay there forever. And some of these chat conversations go on for years and years. And those links can become compromised. Something you have malware in your system, or it's a link to a site that you just don't want. That you know, it's a, a malicious site or a hate site or something. And of course, the screen share is another one. We've all done that. We've all shared the wrong screen. You know, you've got someone else's information open. You've got the payroll system open. And everybody sees it and it only takes somebody to take a screenshot or have their phone and so there's all sorts of privacy issues that if left unmanaged but with the right safeguards around it all of those can be alerted to, so you know you're ahead of these risks and can manage them but they tend to be the things that people are worried about but if you're using legacy tools you're not going to spot them you're not going to know they're there you're not going to be able to to find the personal information you're not going to be able to extract it you're not going to know. And then you're on the back foot to somebody else telling you, oh, this information got out that the, the organisation. So lots of understandably concerns about privacy and data security that can be thankfully managed. In terms of how firms are responding to this, well, designer mentioned Lots are just turning the functionality off. So you say, well, OK, let's avoid that risk. Let's turn off all the chat. Let's not send any chat messages. Let's turn off the video. And then you're in a situation where, well, that's just not productive. You know, that actually affects how you work. You, you want to be able to send a quick message. You want to be able to collaborate on screen or a document. So it's this, you say, the unintended consequences. You turn everything off to control it, and actually it finds itself its way out through another monitored channel. So we always say as best practice are use the channels that um, use the platforms that are all designed to be compliant with the right technology around it. And you you just don't have this problem, but it's a new area. It's something that firms are really grappling with what to do.
0: Yeah, and I think it's also that we demand in our business lives now the capabilities that we have in our consumer lives. And just trying to shut things down, it just doesn't help. And it's frustrating and unproductive, as you point out. I guess another one of the challenges, maybe Susanna, that you can talk a bit to is just the immense amount of data and how firms can have oversight to that. Can you tell us a bit about that sort of challenge?
2: Yeah, and it really is a challenge. I mean, you only have to just look into the world. Data is the new oil. The sheer volume of data bouncing around everywhere is just vast. And none of that is a reason for firms not to be able to oversee what on earth is going on. But again, I mean, this is a bit of a thread through the whole conversation. You need the right tools to be able to do it. The last thing with unintended consequences, for instance, is to have stacks of false positives coming up, which makes your life even worse than when you started in terms of compliance oversight. And there's a whole range of ways firms are looking at how they can do risk and compliance oversight in this sheer amount of data that's there. And some of them are very central. I mean, two-thirds using a lexicon and keyword search. Yes, you need to have the right keywords. Yes, you need to be knowing what you're doing and having it set up properly. Over half, 57%, are using machine learning, natural language processing, artificial intelligence. The one that made my blood run slightly cold when I was reading the results for this is 57% again are using manual approaches. My goodness, how are you making that fly? That for me actually raises more red flags than it's actually solving. So I think if you as one of the listeners are using a manual approach to your compliance oversight, I think you really do need to think that through really pretty carefully because not only are you creating a lot of problems for yourself, I suspect your regulator is going to ask you some pretty serious questions about all of that. And not only is it straight up, say, email, you need to get right in terms of surveillance. And I mentioned a bit earlier, the fines in the US, they were the SEC fines on banks. Now, FINRA, and other US regulators have got a real communications compliance focus as well and they've had a number of fines very recently where just straight up email surveillance has simply not been good enough and one firm late last year was fined for where they were looking at their emails they weren't looking at any of the attachments to the emails oops so all of that has got to be rewound and redone so you've got email you absolutely have to do Picking up on what Stacey said, you've got chat, video, email, use of emojis, use of this, use of that. But you, as a head of compliance, need something that means if your conversation starts in chat, moves to video, ends up with a roundup on email, is sprinkled with emojis throughout, can you capture all of that? If, for instance, you are trying to ensure, which all firms should be, that actually you're not doing insider trading or there's market abuse going on, you need to be able to follow that thread, follow those breadcrumbs through that entire conversation, or else you're not doing your oversight job at that point. And equally, if your system won't capture emojis, your context of that conversation just went out the window as well. I mean, even this morning, Stacey and I had a chat conversation that involved emojis. Of course it did, because that's how people work nowadays. But you're gonna have to be able to capture that and then reproduce it should you need it. And that reproducing piece is not theoretical at all. And you may well have seen the Department of Justice again in the US just recently updated its expectations. Basically, you are gonna to have to be able to retrieve anything it wants, pretty much, swiftly and without delay. And there is personal liability associated with that if you can't do that. And let's be clear, the DOJ is not on its own with that. So yes, there are a whole stack of challenges and yes, chat, video, email, use of emojis, whatever. If you can capture that properly and have, I would suggest, a suitably AI-enabled solution to oversee it, you are going a very long way to being able to not only be compliant, but evidence you're compliant. And I'm repeating myself here. If you're still using a manual approach to oversight, I think you really need to look at that really pretty quickly, to be perfectly honest.
0: I think it's quite fascinating because especially when you talk about the communication through emojis, maybe I'll add in this link, but someone sent me this six-question test of could you understand what a Gen Z person was saying to you with their use of words or emojis? And some of it was like not what I would have interpreted the messages to be so it's quite a funny one in terms of that generational use and one of them was if you use just the standard smiley face like the you know if you were going to do it with the colon brackets that's seen as not positive enough by the younger generation you need to use the big smiley face or they think that you're being quite negative about whatever you've sent them. (laughs) I don't know how you kind of get AI to learn this stuff, but quite interesting.
2: (laughs) Well, I perhaps should confess, I mostly just use the thumbs up. (laughs) Because I know that's going to signify.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so really interesting. So obviously a great report. We're going to put the link in the show notes. Let's Go to the key takeaways. What should our risky women listeners take away from the report?
1: I'll start. Okay. Um, A couple of things I think, not necessarily finding the report, but something I would uh, suggest we need to see more of is compliance teams and technology teams working together. And I think that's a bit of a change. And actually everything's so closely combined now so that technology need to understand where compliance are coming from, what is it that they need, what are the expectations of them because obviously they're answerable and compliance need to be involved in those decisions earlier. I think they're no longer separate departments. There's so much overlap. So that's something, it doesn't mean compliance has got to become techies, but I think those worlds need to be closer. So I think I'd be looking to build some relationships there and understanding. And then obviously we've talked a lot about having platforms, communication platforms, make the most of these platforms that you've got. They are designed, the Zooms, and the Microsoft Teams, the Centrals. those big platforms and many others are designed for
0: compliance
1: don't be locking them down and pushing people out to to do other things that aren't wanted to. That's
0: far more risky, I think would be my biggest takeaway. Interesting. Any other takeaways from you, Susanna?
2: Yeah, I think I have two main ones. One is, and I know lots of folks will have done post-pandemic reviews, but I think even with the post-pandemic reviews, the sheer speed with which things like chat have been adopted and video have been adopted is still something of a surprise to a number of people. So I would suggest you do need to look at the legacy solutions you have for overseeing all of that, for capturing all of that, being able to retrieve what you've captured. Have a look at that as part of whether you badge badged a post-pandemic review or just your annual review of the solutions you've got. I really would have a long, hard look and make sure you are able to not only be compliant but I'm again repeating myself but evidence your compliance there because the regulators are looking let's be completely clear and that links into my second point is please learn the lessons from the enforcements that have gone public we already know that the regulators in the U.S. are widening their search it's not just the SEC anymore FINRA still has a communications compliance focus We know the UK regulators are looking. We know BaFin is looking. I heard from a a friend the other day that the MAS is potentially looking. So Monetary Authority of Singapore is looking. Regulators around the world get very nervous if they think there is something happening they do not have line of sight to. And if firms are not seen to have learned the lessons from the headline grabbing fines in the US, they're really going to be on the back foot. And the regulators will be much harsher with those that haven't started looking, checking, making sure unmonitored channels aren't being used. And the other bit I would weave into that is in a number of jurisdictions, there's personal liability is a big potential. Now, in the swathe of fines in the US, we saw bonuses being taken away. We saw knuckles wrapped or individuals have already been held at least partially accountable for those fines. Again, if firms aren't seen to be doing something now before the regulators start saying, well, how do you know? monitored communications aren't happening somewhere else. I think you would be in real regulatory jeopardy. So please look at those fines in the US. Please learn those lessons. And if you can get ahead of the regulator asking you questions, that's the best possible outcome for you.
0: Yeah, good takeaways there for everyone to think about. And obviously everyone should read this report, but when do you start working on the next report so that we can get everyone focused on helping whatever you need for that?
1: That's a great question. I would think the summer, so UK summer, so I think probably June, July time we'll have our next questionnaire go out. And So yeah, anyone who would be able to take part
0: in that would be greatly appreciated. Excellent. Well, we'll share that when you get that underway and get views from our Risky Women audience. So now our kind of last section, which is just our Risky Women wrap up. Great to get some thoughts from both of you. So I guess one that we ask everyone is, are you optimistic, pessimistic, or neutral with your outlook for the year ahead? So Stacey.
1: I think I'm realistic, actually. <laughs> Something just can't be influenced. But I think you know, the financial services industry has come through pandemic really well. We are where we are. We've transformed into a you know, hybrid working amazingly. And for that reason, I think you're
0: know, optimistic. Excellent. And Susanna?
1: I would echo
2: the optimistic, but I think that's not without the headwinds. I think technology, good uses of technology, the right solution for the right problem, Will transform and continue to transform what we do. What I do see is that a number of firms have legacy IT infrastructures, legacy solutions. They are going to have to take some pretty big decisions about actually, we need to upgrade. And I know that costs money and I know the economic reality and all the rest of it. So those are my headwinds. But I think you get the technology right, the world is your oyster. So for that reason, I'm optimistic.
0: Great. The other thing we love to get off all of our uh, guests is either a book to read, something to watch, or a podcast that you recommend. So Susanna, do you want to start? Well, Kimberly pre-warned me on this question. So I actually had to look up the name of the book because I've just finished it and it's
2: excellent. It's called Lessons in Chemistry by a lady called Bonnie Garmus. And I won't give too many spoilers, but it is about a very unconventional woman who totally succeeds
0: and I'd thoroughly recommend it. Sounds great. And Stacey?
1: So I'm going to recommend a podcast series and that's Compliance Clarified. And that is something that Susanna actually started and has turned into the most amazing followers and readerships. And I know, you know, she'll be back as a guest and I'm sure she misses leading all those podcasts, but what a fantastic series to get off the ground and and start
0: and how practical and useful. Well, I think she should come as guest presenter for Risky Women. So we'll steal her away, but we love a good other podcast recommendation because I'm an avid podcast listener. So thanks for that one. That's great. And then my final question to leave us with some inspiration for our risky women i guess just a key message or a thought or a quote that will leave us with an optimistic thought
2: well for me it's believe in yourself and believe in your intellect never actually doubt the fact you have a brain and you're not afraid to use it excellent
1: for me what i've always what i've always remembered is you set the tone as a manager or part of a team, how you show up and your outlook and your manner actually affects everybody else. And I think when you become a parent, that's true as well. If you're down and negative, then probably everyone around you isn't. And if you, if you, even if you're not feeling it, if you set the tone and you're positive, actually that can have such great results. So I would say, you know, remember you set the tone. And related to that, you can always restart your day. So if you've had the worst morning traveling in, you can always just restart and refresh.
0: That's a very nice thought to leave us with. So, yeah, set the tone and even from a grey and dreary London and that's a bit cold, <laughs> it's great to be here and I do get inspiration when I come in and just from the environment to the buildings, etc. So it's been absolutely fabulous speaking to both of you. I'm so pleased that we finally managed to coordinate this because I think – We've tried for several years, so it's brilliant and look forward to doing more with you and speaking again. Absolutely. It's so great to speak with you and we'd be very happy to speak again. Thank you very much. That was great. Thank you for listening to this episode of Risky Women Radio. Be part of the ongoing conversation and learn more about our events and other programs at riskywomen.org.